Hi, this is Patty Lapone. This is Allison Janney. This is Matt Balmer. This is Donna Murphy. This is Nia Vardalis. This is Jesse Tyler Ferguson. This is Beanie Feldstein. I'm Octavia Spencer. This is Ben Platt, and you're listening to Little Known Facts with my favorite person on the planet, Alana Levine. A-OK. Welcome to Little Known Facts, a podcast where you will hear unfiltered, raw, honest, and uniquely funny interviews with artists you love as they talk about the art they love to make. I'm your host, Ilana Levine. Hey, I heard you need an inspiration. He's Ilana and friends with some revelations. Little known back to the day, every little thing's gonna be A-OK. Hey everyone, new episodes of Little Known Facts drop every Monday and you can find them on your favorite podcast provider. Also, if you go to the website, littleknownfactspodcast.com, you'll find behind-the-scenes photos, videos, and interviews, and lots more on the gallery page. And if you are loving these intimate, candid conversations with all the artists who come on the show, please head over to the contributions page. I depend on these donations to continue to bring you these interviews every week. So if you love the show, please donate. Little known fact about my guest today, a really great night at karaoke led her to being cast in her first Broadway musical many years later. Welcome Beth Malone to the podcast. A-OK. A-OK. Hey everyone, my guest today is the award-winning actress Beth Malone. Beth currently stars on Broadway in the revival of the Tony and Pulitzer Prize-winning play Angels in America. She plays the angel, among other roles. Some of her other notable theater credits include the unsinkable Molly Brown, her Tony-nominated performance for the Tony Award-winning musical Fun Home, The Marvelous Wonderettes, Ring of Fire, and Bingo! On film, she can be seen in The Comedian, starring opposite Robert De Niro. Her TV credits include Braindead Bull and The Good Wife. She is a passionate activist and lobbyist for human rights, in particular organizations that support the LGBTQ community, have her heart. I am so over the moon to welcome one of the most extraordinary people I know to the podcast, Beth Malone. Hi. Hi. <laughs> I'm so thrilled that you're here. Me too. It's nice to be in the air conditioning. Yes. So and to see your face. My face and the AC are yeah. what lured. It's all good. Beth Malone to the booth. Beth is um, doing a huge play right now. Eight shows a week. Yes. Not a seven. Oh. Yeah. That's the blessing. We have two full days off. We have Monday and Tuesday completely off. And that is the saving grace. I've never had the situation where you really get a break, but I've never had a situation where you really, really need it. Um, after doing seven, it's just like, and, and I have, I have it sort of easy. Like I don't empty my guts out onto the floor like other people right. do. Like there's all kinds of wailing and gnashing of teeth and, and bleeding and crying that happen in the play. And I, I get you know, to come in and sort of be a breath of fresh air in a few scenes. I come in and I'm like, hi, I'm not really like I, I'm there as a place for other characters to reveal something, you right. know, in a lot of in a lot of millennium anyway. So that's a whole play where I don't have to, you know, like risk any any emotional damage. Um, and then, you know, the, the anti-migration epistle in the second 
play, Perestroika. It, it is like a 25-minute play. Um, within where, the play. Within the play, where I come out and it's all me talking, monologuing about, you know, what I need and what I need him to do. And, and so, so him in this case <clears throat> is Andrew Garfield. Yes. Some listeners will know him from Spider-Man and some will know him from Angels in America. Yes. Um, Axel Ridge. Yeah. And things, such things. things like that. Yes. Yeah. And the thing about this production, it's it's 25th year anniversary yes. or since the original production. And the angel, which is such a centerpiece in this play, has been reinvented for this production. So for those of us who were here the first time that production was on Broadway or have seen YouTube clips since, that angel dropped down from the ceiling sort of Peter Pan style, right, right. with with ropes and harnesses and cables and <laughs> Maybe things. Peter Pan style is not, but no, you guys Peter. know what I mean yeah. in terms of what the... Um, Flying by foy. The technology was to make her an angel, whereas this angel that you're playing is more like the world of Julie Taymor, where there's puppets and all of these ca- uh, humans who are manipulating mm-hmm. the parts of the angel that the angel herself is not it's manipulating. It's amazing. It's really, really cool. Marianne Elliott is the director. Um, Stephen Hoggett is the movement coordinator. And Finn Caldwell is the puppeteer. Not to mention Patrick McCollum, who like did all of the... like interstitial movement and like moment to moment work with with us you know physically and things like that um and then yeah there i mean there's just like a million great minds involved in what you know it makes it look really easy when you come and you see it 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 seems so effortless as an audience member yeah but it is it's like hours and hours and hours of every every moment has been meticulously curated by like eight people and it goes into making it look that full and dense and and uh seamless and effortless and terrifying it's just like the amount of blood sweat and tears behind this is this effortless um, angel yeah it really is amazing it really is not to mention like the look of her yes i was gonna say this is audio but beth now has platinum blonde spiky short short hair messed up hair breaking off well there's that yeah for our art yeah method right the angel has but but this is a, a little bit of a segue because i you know when i first became aware of you you had long brown hair when i saw you in fun home in your tony nominated performance as Allison, mm-hmm. the, the eldest Allison yes. in Fun Home, you had a very short haircut, which suddenly put you out in the world with a very specific look. Right. So it's not like you left the stage and suddenly like took off your wig and put on your clothes and we're back to being Beth. Like, right. Like, this was a th- commitment, you know, in, all the, in the world, a constant commitment. Yeah. So it was... Um, like a sociological experiment as well as like, you know, you can go put on a wig and play a character, but then you take it off and, you know, you see people walking out of the stage at night after Angels in America, you see Susan Brown, nobody even stops her for an autograph. Right. Because she looks like Susan. Right. But me, I was like, everywhere I went, I was... I was um, Alison Bechtel, right. which was an amazing person to be for a while. And and ever since then, I've had a hard time growing my hair out because it, every time I get to a certain length, it, it, it 
really starts to drive me crazy. And then, of course, I got this role, and they were like, okay, well, just keep growing it, and then we're going to bleach the right. crap and then, out of it, and, and then it's going to fall out. It'll fall out, and mm-hmm. you'll be playing Mr. Clean in some yes, future. Yes, soon I'm going to be like I'm going to be like Sinead O'Connor after this because there's nothing, there's nowhere to go except off. With so if this you got stuff. a tattoo on your head, one this would be the your, time to do it. Yeah, what would it be? Uh, I think it would be like okay, this is really specific, and no one will know what I'm talking about. But there is this um. The Snowmass Flower. Um, Snowmass is a place in Colorado that had this vintage flower as its logo back in the 60s. And I would get that on my head. And then um, it would grow out. And then no one would know it was there. But I would, as mm-hmm. would my one million listeners. But other than us... <laughs> Snowmass forever. It's totally. Yeah. It's totally a secret. Okay. Don't tell anyone. You could get that, by the way, anywhere you wanted on any part of your body. I might put it on my arm someday. That would be a career ender, though. I really think it would be like a commitment. Like, I... I have a tattoo on my rib cage, and nobody ever sees it because, I, of course, as soon as I got it, I got cast as uh, Nellie Forbush, where I had to wear a bikini on stage. And I was like, what are Wait the odds? Minute. First of all, what are the odds I'm going to get cast as Nellie Forbush? Right. And then what are the odds I'm going to take that job, too? Right. <laughs> and yeah. then, right, right. Had like So I had this great makeup that covers it up. You can do it. I've never wanted a tattoo. I've never had any interest in a tattoo, although I appreciate... I, I love art, so I appreciate... Yes, me too. And when I see people with, like, full-on sleeves, I'm like, that is the most beautiful thing yes. I've ever seen. But I could bear... I cried. I had to get my right ear pierced and come back, like, six <laughs> months later to get the left. Like, I am not a girl. And then, like, having babies, I was like, oh, this is... Like, I guess it just has to be what you want. Wait and a second. Suddenly, Are you saying having babies was, like... I didn't, like, start having half of Georgia and come back six months later. Well, like, I was completely... committed. <laughs> That's really one of the reasons I have no children is, like, the abject terror of, like, once it's once it, once you're growing it, there's no way out. Nope. Except for, like, there's that one way. Yep. And, and I'm it like, has nope, to actually come nope, out of you. Nope. 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 Uh-uh. Having done it, I can't even say how it happens. I actually <gasps> had that baby and another one, and they came out of me, and... I just remember seeing my husband during the whole process and and more than having the babies, I remember his face like, holy (laughs) shit. Are you, if at any point you want to change your mind, Alana, I love you, but I would totally understand. But this is all to say that recently... A tattoo parlor, maybe, I don't know if that's, what are they still called that I in 2018? So. I think so. Like beauty parlor? Yes. Tattoo parlor opened up next to where I live, and it's called Nice Tattoo. And it's so interesting the way things work psychologically, because when they first opened about a year ago, I was like, ugh, a tattoo place? Like, what? Wow. Like, maybe a nice cappuccino place. Right. And, and as the months have passed, I'm like, but it is a nice tattoo. And then if I got a nice tattoo, what would it be? Like, it just goes that from, like, hilarious. so it's it's smart like all name. about branding. Branding. I'm like, it's nice. And they must be so nice while they give it That's to you. That's so nice. Yeah, they maybe they give me nice a cappuccino. <laughs> I would be like, I may not need an epidural to have my baby, but I so need an epidural oh my God, to get, like, a, a good little. idea. Yeah, epidurals and this tattoos. My ribcage hurt so bad. And, and ultimately, it hurt too much. And it was too deep, and so I have ink spreading on my, and it's not this good. This is a disaster. So it, it was, so I have to get it fixed. But it, it hurt so bad that I don't want to even get it fixed. 
That's how bad it hurt. Well, you, my love, have to get back to your theater because the New York Times is coming to photograph you today. I have, in fact, heard of that periodical. (laughs) And so I know that this is a legit thing. So we're going to move away from what I think has been a fascinating fascinating conversation conversation to us. Okay. But we're going to move on. Yeah. Which is, how did you, Beth Malone, fall in love with the performing arts in such a way and with such a passion that you are now, many years later, sitting in my podcast booth talking about what we will begin to talk about, which is this body of work that's extraordinary. You know, it's funny how you say falling in love because that is exactly what it felt like when when you first find it and, and you first, it there is like this crazy, like magical spell that happens where, where when I was a teenager... Once I started going to the theater department in my high school and putting on plays and getting uh, better at it, and, 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 and every single experience, I was like, I would move up a level in my mind. I was like, I learned something here. Like, I really, really changed. I'm different than I was at the beginning of this play process. I learned something, you know? And every time I got in a play, I learned something that I was really, really hungry to learn that I didn't even know I was voraciously hungry for. And um, I became just like single-minded. Like it was hard for my parents to get me to go on a family vacation because I wanted to stay and do summer theater, you know? Or, I mean, if I could be in a theater, like walk in the back of an auditorium and smell it, like the whole romantic... Everything about it um, was uh, literally like being in love. So I think it got me through my teenage years without having to have like uh, a bunch of trouble and a bunch of like kept you off the street, unwanted pregnancies and right. things like that. You know, like I, I was like I was in love. I had a love, and it was a single-minded, um, focused, and and uh, all-consuming love. You know, so I, I was, and I went and I drove up to this dinner theater and got a job as the hostess filling the salt and pepper shakers. How old were you? When I first got my driver's license, I was 16. Okay. In Colorado. Yeah, in Colorado. The Mm -hmm. Country Dinner Playhouse. It was a theater in the round. It was shaped like a red barn. There was like checkered tablecloths that were plastic, you know, stapled to the tables. And there was the barnstormers that would come down out of the ceiling because it was in the round. So the center of the thing was a giant elevator that would come down out of the ceiling and the barnstormers which were eight performers the guys had guitars and the girls had little country skirts and they would do these little ding 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 welcome to the country dinner playhouse and we are the barnstormers and they would do this like really adorable little pre-show which was completely oldie timey and hokey and stuff but i was just like these are my people these are my people i was obsessed and i never became a barnstormer but i went right onto the main stage doing plays. My first job was Jesus Christ Superstar, and my second job was playing Lizzie in Baby. So I went right to, like, being this little local star, you know, which was, you know, a, a dream come true. I thought, I'd, I don't know if I've had a better experience since at being, like, 20 years old and landing the lead in my local dinner theater community. You know, like, it was amazing. Well, so in terms of, like, by the way, I love that musical very much. Baby, yes. And then we'll maybe have my smile in your hair. <laughs> we won't know till the baby comes. Oh, my God. It's we the can sing best it right now. and play fabulous drums. Boom, 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 boom. <laughs> okay. Richard Maltby ended up directing Ring of Fire, full circle. So it all. Yeah. Oh, that's in June Cash. 
Yeah. And yeah. and uh, June Carter and Johnny Cash. Did yep. she did she go by June Cash also June in Carter the world? Cash. June Carter Cash. Yes. That's right. Um, you sing so beautifully. I have been in an audience where you have sung and just brought tears to my eyes and made my hair stand up on the back of my neck and my blood pump in a way that I could like feel it coursing through my veins. I've also had the opportunity to watch you warm up like in rehearsal for a benefit and just like we'd be like having breakfast and then like a big breakfast and being heavy and then going (laughs) to like the Tut Center in Houston and then you're in a rehearsal room and that same voice came out of you but uh, you know what's in interesting? Places. I have the ability to suck really bad as well. Really? Uh-huh. Yeah. There are times where I'm like, wow, I was just really bad at that. That was bad. You know, I have moments where I'm like, that was glorious. I was really, that was easy. And I, gosh, I haven't sang that song in 20 years, that song we did. And I was right. like, oh, yeah, because I had rehearsed it. I had prepared. My enemy is not preparing. Mm-hmm. If I'm ill-prepared, like recently, Kathleen, You're not a good faker. I'm not good I'm not it, it, or a it, winger. What do you call it? Winging winger. It? I'm yeah. not good at winging, which is why I'm I'm an angel. Oh, ironic! But I, <laughs> we I, are so funny. We're hilarious. But recently, I did an evening at Fifty Four Below with Kathleen Marshall. Yes. and and she gave me like eight songs to learn and sing in like two weeks. And of course, I put it off until the week of. And then I was like learning eight songs in one weekend. I was not good. I was not good. Afterwards, I was like, I can't ever do that again. Can't go up in front of people. Less than because I had my music stand and I was singing Rose's Turn or something, or something crazy like right, which is hard to read and just be on the page when you're like, like, well, that was not good. Yeah, that was not. good. Did you tell the audience it wasn't good? No, but like with my face, (laughs) (laughs) just like with my face, I'm like, I'm sorry. I know. In between, like Rose, and then you'd like be mouthing, not good, not Not good. This is bad. I'm sorry because Patty Lapone lives like a block from here, and And you should probably get her over here. She's putting her fingers on her nose and like going, "What is that smell? Oh, it's Beth Malone." Oh, how dare she ruin that? Well. When did you know you could sing or or when did you start singing? I, I knew I could carry a tune always, you know, when I was I was a secret singer, you know, I wasn't like but I guess my brothers would say I was an annoying like singer around the house and things right. like that. But I have three older brothers who really keep you humble, who like tell you you suck and like right. shut up and get out of here all the time. You suck, shut up, get out of here. You suck, shut up, get out of here. So I mean like that kept me like secret singing for a really long time. And then you know, I I auditioned for the Country Dinner Playhouse when I was in high school and didn't get in because I sang, as long as he needs me. But about that big. Right. I know. Because I didn't think belting was a thing. I didn't How know. would you have known? And I didn't know. I didn't know anything about, you know, and I did have like a choir teacher who, who didn't really like appreciate a chest voice in yeah, choir, yeah. you know what I mean? So I was always trying to make this legit sound that I'm really terrible at. And then finally, when I went to my freshman year of college, I took a pop belt class because I was in a musical theater. PBC. PBC. Pop belt class. This is the pop belt moth. Mm. You have to show four top teeth and four bottom teeth and make your lips like a trumpet. All right. There was a, um, there was a, there was a textbook about pop belt. Anyway, um, so I was I had permission to go above a middle C in my chest voice. And then I was like, well, I can go up to an F sharp, you know, it's like and then that became a thing because that kind of singing, you know, I'm old enough where that kind of singing was not like um, you, you would have Ado Annie and she would go up to like a C sharp, you know right. what I mean? But um, 
once I learned that I could do that and I can do that. The sky's um, the limit. Then, then my life changed. It was like, oh. Were you listening to cast recordings? Like, obviously, there were, you know, Ethel Merman could belt. Right. There were people and yes. possibly cast but I was obsessed with like in high school, I was obsessed with Sunday in the Park with George on vinyl. You know, I was like flipping oh, that liner notes. Yeah. Yeah. There's and nothing like Bernadette. it. Oh, yeah. God. Incredible. But I can't sing like that. And the way that is, is something that I'll never be able to do. Like like Eliza Doolittle is happening over at the thing right now. And I'm like, oh, my God, if I could ever play that, I could never play that role. Because I just don't have that voice. I don't have that. But that's a great role for me. You know, right. that scrappy. But what I can play is, you know, Annie Oakley. I can play Molly Brown. And, and you know. And you played Alison Bechdel. And Alison. The thing about Fun Home, that musical has so, you know, Janine Tesori was just brilliant in, and, and Lisa Crone, obviously, in, in the, the words. There were so many different styles of music. Janine is like a show. genius of that. She's a chameleon. She can right. write like, in any in any uh, style. Right. Like so it would go from like traditional theater song to like pop song to like the most beautiful ballad to like these you'd be gutted like when Judy Kuhn sang her song you're gutted but that really gentle song that you would sing sitting next to your dad what was the name of the song do 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 telephone wire telephone wire yeah. thank you um that's like you it's know, folky. It it's, is. It's like, a, you know, it, it's like Alanis Morissette meets, you know, Joni Mitchell. It's like all of these kind of it amazing... It is, and, but like the, the style of it was almost like it was it was precipitated from the need yes. of the scene. So that is what the scene required. Um, and, and it took a long time to find that sound of not that song that song kind of emerged sort of yeah. early and like very clearly for you for for Janine and Lisa okay um and when it went in it, it stayed in other things like the beginning and this other song that Bruce sang about when he was seducing the guy and how tormented he was to try and get the guy to like read this mm -hmm. book in his library and what he's going on with within him you know right. there was this song where he kept switching back and forth from inside voice to outside voice and it was just a little on the nose but it was brilliantly done it was brilliantly executed but um that went in the trunk it went mm -hmm. away as good as it was it just it went away because it just wasn't the right thing but that's the thing about um fun home is like each and every song is serving the need of the scene mm -hmm. um so that in that way the the styles of music that come out of that are almost like secondary to, yeah. but except for like Come to the Fun Home, which absolutely had to be a Michael Jackson yeah. knockoff, you know? Well, that was the, the time they were living in and what those kids would have been singing in as a family. Yes. But the thing about Fun Home, and I love musicals so much and I am there's not one bit of snob in me like I love I love the musicals that people are dressed in prom dresses waiting in line to go see because I they, loved it too yep um, <laughs> I love them and I love really smaller gentler you know mm -hmm. pieces and but the thing that I thought was so masterful about Fun Home and, and, and I say this as someone who doesn't mind if it feels totally fake that someone's bursting into song in the middle because I just can't believe people can sing like that. Yeah. Every song in that show, and Telephone Wire is such a kind of particularly perfect example of this, is it comes out of speaking. Yeah. And the seamlessness and the effortlessness that you presented, 
yes. not knowing what it was to do. It but was, what it, it felt was, like it is like, like I'm talking and now I'm singing what I'm talking. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I, Kelly O'Hara has been here. All of these people I admire so much because what they can do vocally just inspires me to believe in religion yeah, again. Too, yeah. um, but there's a way in which certain people can sing to me and I don't even realize they're not talking and that there's anything heightened or abnormal about yeah, the experience. I love that too. And it's thrilling when you see it happen. Well, it I is. saw you do that and and I saw that show many times and then and then to see you kind of present the unsinkable Molly Brown and, and that kind of performance, which is so much fun and, and also so in your wheelhouse. And then to see you as this angel and how amazing that you get to do something that you're not singing. And it's rare that people who become super famous in musicals get to do straight plays too. Yeah. So how did you get to play the part of the angel? I think what, what worked for me is uh, Marianne Elliott is not a New Yorker. So she she's not immersed in the dogma of like this is a musical theater performer Um, and so she came to me with fresh eyes and she just was like completely like blank slated me like she was like what can you do you know and so it was audition after audition after audition and each audition was an hour long of one on one stuff so um, you know Stephen Hoggett uh, put me through um, this audition where there were five people lifting me and he was like you go two steps and take a breath and then you you launch up onto this chair then you look at something catches your eye on your left and then you um you you launch and you get up and you walk three steps on the wall um and i'm talking about horizontal to the floor and then you fly down and then and so like this whole thing you know was choreographed within an hour and then he put intentions with it like it within within one hour uh, of audition you know so at the end of it you feel like i just rehearsed this play for an hour you feel like you know i just i just staged a sequence that might end up in angels in america it was so it was so intense so the very first time like you you know that you are possibly being considered for this project because we know it started in london and then Mm -hmm. they were going to bring the english cast over and then and then some were going to leave and they were looking for a replacement for you yeah um you get a call like, "Hey, are you interested in Angels in Like, how yes. does it even come to you? My agent, Stephen, he Stephen Unger with Bauman Randanti and Shaw, he's my man, and he he calls me and says, "I'm not sure if this is how you want to return to Broadway, you know, coming in as a replacement." Mm-hmm. And I was like, "For Angels in America, I would literally." sweep the floor yeah. and get coffee for people. He's like, great, because what they're looking for is... Yes, exactly. <laughs> Glad you said that, Beth. Yes, oh, good, because you know, <laughs> That's actually that what they takes need. a load off me because <laughs> honestly, what they're looking for is like a Starbucks runner. Yeah. But um, I mean, it really was, truly. I was like, because I, you know, for me, it's like the Bible. Angels in America is like this holy writ. Well, what did you know about it? Were you in New York when it was here the first time? No. So what What did it mean to you, not in New York at that time, or, or what does it mean to you now? Like, what did that mean to you? There was an, I, I always held it in like an elevated status. Like, there are plays, and then there's Angels in America, which right. is this once in a, you know, in a generation um Epic. A Tony Kushner comes along. Right. Maybe. No, and an, and an Angels in America, even yeah. in Tony's life, like, this there's only it. one Angels in America in his career, you yeah. know, and he's had a long and amazing career, but he's written anything um, like Angels in America. It, it's like every play that's ever been, everything that happens in life happens in this play. That's why he only had to write one giant play, because it's seven plays right. in it. And, and you know, I... I um, 
I worked on it in grad school. You know, I, I just revered it. I read it. I had a very worn copy of it. There are so many things about it that, you know, have um, I've assimilated into like my subconscious that I didn't know it came from Angels in America. Sure. You know, it's that kind of play. It, it's, it changed the culture at the time. It affected every play that came after it. It, it gave playwrights permission to like mess language. with reality. Yeah. And write heightened language in a, in a, in a conversational way, it's almost like Shakespearean at times. You know, it it's like you have to rise to this piece. And I just thought, well, if I could get this job, it would be like going to get my PhD. You know, it's like I have a master's degree in acting. If I could get this job, yeah. it'd be like I got a PhD in Tony Kushner and Marianne Elliott yeah. and Stephen Hoggett. Right, and it's I Stephen did. Hawking time, right? Yes. Like we're this whole other... Yeah, so I just thought I wanted it in my life as a... As an experience, I, I knew it would change me in a way that I was hungry for. And I and I, I, I really literally just scrapped and scrapped and scrapped my way to get in, you know. And even after I had had like four hour long sessions and I knew the next call would be like the offer. They were like, they want you to meet with Deb Hecht. She's the vocal um, coach at Juilliard. They want you to do a session with her. And then ultimately she'll be the one that, because I think, you know, vocally, like. Can you do it? Can, can you, you do it? it? And, and everybody's tired. Everybody's voices are, are going and stuff like that. But, um, you know, I, I passed the Deb Hecht test. And the Clearly. next thing was like a long, long wait because everyone had to weigh in on my casting. Tony, Andrew, everybody had to say, I think Nathan Lane had to say yes. Had they there. videotaped you or like how were yes. Nathan and Andrew Garf Oh, great. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> For my first audition was like a was like a, a you know a taped um really terrible a self tape a self tape yeah really. that's what they saw yeah uh, right. but but then the next one was like every audition subsequent audition was taped so i think they were all like oh my gosh so by the time you came in andrew garfield had been doing this play for a year? They had done it for like four months in London and then taken, you know, some three, time off. Three months off. Okay. And, and then gone back into rehearsal in January. I mean, it took a lot to convince people to come back into it because it is really hard. And now that I'm in it, I'm like, why did you say yes? Oh yeah. my God, it's so hard. It really, really is hard. So what is happening of, at the theater? What What is Andrew Garfield doing before... He gets there. He's got such an amazing work ethic. He has a really astonishing work ethic, and he never complains. He suffers, but he doesn't complain about it. Mm. You know, it's hard. You can see it. You can see he's he's like, oh, my God, his body's tired. His voice is tired. His eyes are tired. His mind is tired. His heart is tired. But he is doing He's doing it, you know, like every day he gets there an hour before anybody else so he can get his lesions on. Right. You know what I mean? Like his prep is, is and then he start, He does his vocal warm-up every single day. Are he, you guys all on stage together warming up? Yeah. People, yeah, so yeah. everyone's kind of wandering around yeah, you wander making their sounds. Yes, and yes. And the, the ushers are out in the house just like watching Spider-Man go, you know, it's like they love it. Delighting you know? in it. Yes, uh, it is a quite quite a thing. And do you have to do like an intense physical warm up? How I do you do. prepare for that? I'm in the best shape of my life. You so and like, I'm sorry it's audio, guys, because she looks good. <laughs> I mean, 
like, girl, you look good. Girl. <laughs> I, was, I was lifting weights this morning, and I looked at myself, and I was like, okay, i got to stop now. Because there's a moment where I just become male. You've gone to the other side. Right. I've just, like, transitioned fully. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've got to just, like, lay off the weights a little bit. But um, it's really fun. You know, it's really fun to say, like, oh, look what your body can do if you, if you, you know. But by the way, even when you just motion with your hands, mm-hmm. like, to kind of gesture that... You're ripped. I'm ripped. You are friggin' yeah, ripped. Well, I'm not showing you my muscles. <laughs> you win. Okay. So that's how you do it. Well, yeah. For me, I had to because I'm 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 not a spring chicken. You know, it's like for me to be able to do it. First of all, everyone's amazing in it, and I wanted to rise up and be at their level. So in order to do that, you really have to do it. You can't mm-hmm. just talk about it. You have to really do it. And there's no there's no substitute for like getting up off the couch and like getting that yoga going, getting a spinning class going, writing, you know, writing in your journal, meditating, working the the scenes, the text themselves, researching on researching all you can like you really talking have to, to real angels. Yes, you get talking to, to other angels. <laughs> Talking to other people who've done it. You so you know? do a ride along with angels. Yes. And I have to say Mandy Lawrence, who played it in London and yeah. who played it here and I took over for her, was like an amazing, uh, uh, lovely human being who we shared the role for a while. For a while I was only doing Wednesdays and she'd do the rest right. of the week um, because they wanted me in on the rehearsal process, but they didn't want me to like go away for 10 weeks right. and then come back and, and oh, there's no way I could have done that. After after a while, I was like, why do I have to do this once a week? Why? And then, because it was so terrifying to do once a week. Right, like you never so kind of got into a groove. No, yeah. it was awful. It was it's awful. like understudying, right? Every like, single yeah. time I went on, I was terrified. Right, shot out of a cannon. Because I was like, do I even know this? But Last I get those I performances this. were friggin' amazing. They were very lit. Yes. Yeah, they were yes. lit. You're alive. Like, mm-hmm. Yeah, I was on the edge. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. And the angel was kind of like that too, right? Like not to be corny, but that's exactly what it is to be that character. Yeah, but now I'm better. Like I'm terrible. I was like, uh, I mean, I wasn't terrible in the in the beginning, but there was definitely a, like a learning curve. I'm I'm better now. Like there's layers. There's right. breathing. There's, right. You know, it's like I'm not like just You're shot conscious. out of it. Yes. And I can take really a hard. moment in the moment and right. assess. And you and things. Andrew yeah. uh, play together. Yeah. Yeah, so I wish people who had seen it early could see it now. You know, now is a good time to see it. They couldn't because there's not a ticket to be had. No, so, there is actually. Really? It's just a big, big house, you know, and it's very long. So I think it keeps people from, like, coming in uh, in droves. There are still tickets to be had. I have to say, I went uh, with our matchmaker, Judy Kuhn. Mm-hmm. We came to see you, and we did it. We did it, the, the two-show day and it's a seven hour commitment Mm. and as an audience member to be asked to work hard is such a thrill and you really feel like when you finish nothing compared to what the cast has been through by what you know through it yeah but i i remember we got to come backstage afterwards and i saw lee pace who's so brilliant as joe pitt in the show and we were talking to him and I was like, do you remember this afternoon? Like, you know that was today. You did that show, and then you did the second show. And he was like, I kind of do. Right? But it's like, it's such, so much happened between that moment where he starts in his first conversation with Roy Cohn. It's Nathan like Lay, this. And it's then like, where do it you ends? remember your whole day? Yeah. It, it really Every is moment. Like, right. You it's like, was that today? It. Yeah. It just seems like so long ago that we were doing Millennium. You arrive at the theater so, so... Um, ambitious like you're gonna do a track like you're gonna right? do something and then the show just like 
wears you down after the whole day. You're like, oh, my God. And then you start perestroika and you're like refreshed and you've taken a nap and you've eaten something. And then by the end of it, you're just like clawing your way to the finish line. No, by the like, time you get to hit heaven, too, you're like, God. And I think the audience feels that way, too. We're like, we're almost there. It's incredible. Well, also, Steven Spielberg was there that night. So yes. it was like you did get to heaven by the end because there was mm-hmm. our God, Steven Spielberg, standing there. Um, he called my agent afterwards. What? What? He said, he called my, his casting person called my agent and said, we're looking out for something for Beth. Okay. And so I called my mom, of course, and then yeah. she put it on Facebook. Yeah. <laughs> then you were like, wah, wah. Then Stephen was like, I, except I don't like Never it mind. when people put it on Facebook. Never <laughs> mind. Like, he has one quirk. <laughs> if you post about it, I feel like my whole life is like that. And then yes, like, like I tell mm-hmm. my mom and she's like, I told them at the Hadassah group. I was like, no. Don't. Oh, my God. Now, <laughs> it's, on the, now it's on the newsletter. <laughs> it's all over. But it happened. And we're here to, I was there. I saw the whole thing in slow-mo and it was amazing. So is there like, you know, when you start out and you like all hold hands in a circle before a show and do an energy circle and you see backstage at Hamilton, they're all like, you know, and Dear Evan Hansen has a dance party. Is it, this is a grown-up cast. This is a bunch of adults. not listening to Beyonce and like rocking out as a group. No, I wish there was a little more of that. I tried to implement a dance party at my, um, come to my on my floor. Okay. Just on my floor last night and people are just so tired. They're like, oh, oh, I'd love to come. Dancing, dancing, (laughs) dancing. But like, it's just more work. It was just like, God. And they were so tired. But I do think like, like we do this wrestle call. We do wrestle call. So we're on stage and we just mark through the wrestle. Um, every Not fight call. Wrestle, wrestle call. call. Because it's like, it's dangerous. Well, wrestling rings. the angel. This is very Boom. biblical. Yeah. Boom. Yeah. There's a lot of um, angel wrestling. So we have fun during so that's that you, moment. Andrew and all the people who yes. make up the angel. Yeah. My wings and my lifting people. All the shadows and Rowan, Ian, Seamus McGee, my left wing is always saying something pithy and making everybody laugh. And That's nice. We yeah. need someone like mm-hmm. Seamus. Rowan. Rowan. Ian. Ian. Seamus. Seamus is McGee. his full name. McGee. Well, his parents took that name. And you need to name your child. And they're like, oh. We're going to take all of the Celtic names that there are and put them together. And that's going to be our I'm jealous of that. I always felt like I could just pick one name for my kid. And that was like Sophie's choice, like all of these names. And then I'll keep hearing a name like, oh, I almost named her Ava. I'm (gasps) like, why wasn't I like Georgia, Ava, Rose? Like I could have used all of them. Rose, because you're only having this two. Yeah. So you might as well like name them. I feel like Ryan's parents got it. They were like, we're going to use all of them. Well, that's why we have dogs so we can name our dogs because they only last for like 12 15 years and it's very weird loving someone with a shelf <clears throat> life it's the strangest it's it is horrible i think a lot about that like how much i love lola mm-hmm. and understanding the limitation and understanding like i think barbara streisand i've heard like cloned her yeah she did i get that but i i'm, I'm madly in love with my dog dinky doo she was sick a couple of weeks ago she had like the doggy flu and i thought my life was ending right. i didn't know what i was gonna i was like i was gonna have to call out because i would be hauled away in a straight jacket right but no she bounced back she's Good. fine because we don't want you hauled away in a no jacket. but i know what I was going to do. Um, well, you didn't have to do anything because she's okay. Yeah. Dinky-doo. Dinky-doo. So we know of all of these great successes. We also know that you have been really vocal about who you are publicly, that you are married to a woman. 
that you are living a life as a married woman who is married to a woman. Yeah. And at some point, something in you was like, I just have to be who I am and I have to be open about who I am. Well, the part of that is like, my life is so great. It's like, I can't pretend it isn't. Like, even if I, if I, if I was ashamed, if I was silent or ashamed, it would be an affront to God, mm-hmm. I think, because my life is so good and I've been so gifted and blessed with an abundance of love in my life. And and if if I was quiet about it, that would be that would be atrocious. Shonda, as we say in Yiddish, that would have been a Shonda. That would have been a Shonda. Yes. Really? What's the what is the what, what does I, that I, mean? It means like a shame. Like it oh, would be unthinkable, yeah. unthinkable to not present my entire self. Right. To the world. Did you make a concerted, like, uh, I was going to say a concerted effort. Did you make a conscious decision to come out? Was there a moment where you were like, for my career, did you have to consult with agents? Was it gradual? Well, it was. It was. It was. When I, when I transitioned from student to professional, um, because there was a moment, like, when I was doing Country Dinner Playhouse, um, there was, like, I was dating this guy for a while, and I was engaged, and I loved him, and then we, I broke up and left him for Shelley, and it was this big... Um, so that know, was the first time you'd been with a woman. Yes. Mm-hmm. So it was this big drama around the Denver theater community. And so I dealt with the people who had known me since I was a child having to re frame who who I was in their minds. Sure. That was the hardest part. People who knew me from childhood up having to see me uh, in a different way. That was the most um, fraught that it ever was. And then once I got past that, everything else was easy. Everything else. Because I'm like, I don't... I don't know you well enough to care what you think about me that much. So um, if you just know me as Beth Malone, the one who's married to Shelley then that's going to make my life just a whole lot easier. Mm-hmm. If it's hard for you, I'm sorry. That's that's not really my problem, right. nor, nor do I care actually all that much. You know, once in a while you run into like abject, hateful bigotry. And that's always like, God, it just like it takes, it, it drains the blood out of your face. Right. You're like, wow, you are, you are living misery is what you are. You're just like living misery. Like once in a while you run into that, um, like on a ski lift or something when you're riding up with someone, uh, and, and you know, you're just, you're talking and then you're like, well, my wife, and then you hear whatever they say back, you know, can sort of take your breath away sometimes. Mm. But, um, it's rare and more often than not, everyone knows someone gay and everybody, you know, has a gay person in their house or their family, you know, it's like, it is, it's a, un un it's it's incredibly common. Um, but as a professional, like when I started teaching kids, that was a thing where I had to seek counsel from an older gay professor. Like, how do you do it? Like when they start asking about my personal life, because right. they all want to get to they know do. you. Yeah. They, wanna know they love things. you. Right. Well, he told me this really, really helpful thing. Um, he said, because I said, I don't want to call her my partner my lover i don't want to use that word I, my my spouse my wife you know um it was before we were married and things like that so we were we were domestic partnered he said i like to use the word sweetheart because it really takes all of the um sexual uh connotations out of it it's it it makes it 
um, a precious, lovely, wonderful thing. And everyone's had a sweetheart and they can understand what that is to them. So I've started calling Shelly my sweetheart to my students. You know, it's like, well, what did you do this weekend? You're just like, my sweetheart and I went to the beach or whatever like that. And the, so in that way, I found that word to be really helpful. And it's a really accurate word, you know, like she is my sweetheart. That's so great. Yeah. I need to start thinking of Dominic as my sweetheart. He's your sweetheart. Yeah, it just makes one smile, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. But obviously at some point they realized your sweetheart was a woman. Right. But by that point... No, I, I mean, I said it right away. My sweetheart, like, Shelly. Yeah, my sweetheart, Shelly. So at that point, it just, you know, whatever their views are, because you get students from across the country. Where were you teaching when you first started? UC Irvine. Okay. That's where I went to my grad program, and, and we were teacher's assistants, so we had a whole bunch of kids. But then I would teach in the summers. I would teach at, at Theater Aspen, so I had little kids. Um, and Shelly would come and meet me for lunch. So people were just used to seeing... Um, us as a couple from, uh, you know, from a very young age. And when you, when it becomes normalized, what I've realized is, like, I've had nephews and nieces in different families. Um, like, one sister-in-law told their told the kids at a very young age, and it was just, like, non-issue. And the one sister-in-law, like, kept it this, like, secret and never... So there were always questions, like... You know, as I would go home for Christmas year after year after year, like the kids would come up and be like, like, so who are you? Like, why are you always here? You know what I mean? Like, I would get that after I'd been with her for like five, seven years. You know, like, why are you all from the kids who were like infants and now they're growing up and now they're eight and they're like, do you have a boyfriend? Do you have a husband? And I was like, oh, my God, can someone not me tell them, you know, because it's not like I don't think they want me. Maybe they do. Maybe it would be easier if I just said, you know, I'm Shelly's wife. Right. I'm Shelly's sweetheart. Right. You know what I, I mean? You know, your Aunt Shelly. Yeah. I'm your Aunt Beth. I live with her. <laughs> I'm your Uncle Beth. Here's the thing. So I feel like that's the answer. Right. I'm your Uncle Beth. I'm your Uncle Beth. Does that, yes. does that frame it in a way that you understand? You feel it? me right now. I kind of want to call you my Uncle Beth. I really <laughs> Uncle want to. Uncle Beth. Well, Rowan Ian Seamus McGee calls me his dad. <laughs> I was like, hi, son, because he's so sweet and he's young enough to be my son. And he goes, hi, dad. So now he gave me a Father's Day card and everything. I've never had a Father's Day card before. No. It's really See, sweet. everything's changing. The whole world. It's super fluid. Yeah. I feel really, really accurate. When he gave me that Father's Day card, I was like, God, this feels right. I feel like his dad. I do feel like your dad. I'm Beth, your dad. I'm your dad. It's, I'm it's, not your mom. Um, I'm your dad. Like, I'll take you hunting and fishing. Yeah. But. And hiking. With breasts. And, but with breasts. But little ones, not really big ones. I know. But when I saw you, like, at the Tonys, like, when you're all, like, girled you can out. wear a gown. Right. Like, I mean, it's great. Really. Because, like, I, have, I have it very easy. And I, and I know that being part of the LGBT community, mm-hmm. um, you know, and being a person that speaks out for rights for everybody, you know, I'm not the best um, person sometimes because I have walked the line and I've gone back and forth really fluidly, really Mm -hmm. easily and being like, now I'm going to be really super femme and I'm going to look just like Audrey Hepburn and everyone's going to tell me how pretty I am. And that's going to feel really good. You know, and then I'm going to put on these long shorts and these high socks and look like a 14 year old skater boy, you know, and and I do that all the time. And is one of those presentations of self feel more like you than the other? Does one feel like dress up and one feel like 
oh, this is how I feel, or are they equal in terms of... I don't know. As I'm getting older, you know, uh, comfort is a premium. Yeah. And I had to change. On Tony night this year, I had to change out of my amazing David Peck gown. You know, David Peck made that dress. It's beautiful. It's stunning. Yeah. And um, I had to go. It wasn't the dress. It was the shoes. Right. I couldn't do it anymore. I was like, if I'm going to enjoy this night, and I want to, I'm going to go home. Give my dog a shot of insulin because she's diabetic. That's the lesbian truth. Mm -hmm. And put on a suit and then go back out to the party. And that's what I did. Right. And it was fun. You had both experiences. I did. I was like, now for the second part of the evening where I'm, you know, a dude. So you also have curated for yourself a one-woman show or a cabaret act called... Beth Malone So Far. And is that something that keeps changing and evolving from its original form it, it is um it's a it's a static play but the ending has to keep changing because the ending ends now and whenever now is is different like when i was doing it during fun home obama was our president all kinds of really good things had just happened you know marriage equality had passed you and felt hopeful i felt a lot of hope and then you know is it your story it is is, is it a is it a um autobiographical evening? It is, it is. It's about my coming out. Oh, well, here's the big, like, the other shoe drop of my coming out stories. Like, my parents disowned me for seven years when I came out. So it is a part of uh, my life. Um, it was a really hard part. It was really sad. It was really changed me. But it really helped me. It really helped me to have more empathy for people. And it helped me to stand on my own two feet and grow up fully. And have empathy for yourself. Yes. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I feel like... I never allowed myself to have much empathy for myself because I'm always like fighting to be a pillar of like strength for for the for the cause and mm-hmm. things like that. So I don't I don't know about that. I mean like even even now like my parents have not come to see Angels in America and they're not going to come because it's not content they're comfortable with because it has gay fantasia in the title and because right. like I'm saying it's because they're just getting older and it's really long. And so I'm giving them a pass on this. And Mm -hmm. they don't live here. So I'm giving them a pass. But, you know, they could come if they wanted to, you know. But uh, it it is just, it's part of the gay experience to be sort of accepted, sort of loved, sort of, um, you know, like, as long as I'm doing things that are brag worthy, Mm -hmm. then I get a lot of, like, pats on the head. But if I'm, you know, I'm a little too gay... Um, I am from Colorado, and there's a really rural, you know, part of Colorado that I'm from, and and there's a lot of cowboys out there that are... And it's not a culture of diversity. No, it is absolutely, it is the opposite of that. Right. Yeah. Okay. On that note, Mm -hmm. before I let you go, Mm -hmm. once again, to be photographed by the New York Times. Yes. That commie red paper. I know. So much. (laughs) So exciting. elitism. So proud of you. Thanks. Can you... um, It's the dance section. Unbelievable. The dance section. Did an interview with me. Isn't that incredible? Okay, yeah. It's like Martha Graham's dancers and you. Or Merce Cunningham. I don't know who it's going to be. Can't wait to see. Martha Clark. Thank you. Something that I love the most is hearing people share what now feels funny and at the time was not so funny, an audition story oh. that um, will make someone out there who's about to go to an audition go, well, if that happened to Beth Malone and look at who she is now, oh I can still go and forgive myself for what just happened or be inspired to do it again tomorrow. Does anyone in particular, I know there's 
I could write a book. I mean, like, I could. There's so many Can you give us bad one? situations. The worst thing, the worst audition that ever happened, I mean, like, the worst thing, was they wanted me to come in for the tour of South Pacific when Kelly O'Hare was doing this gorgeous production. They were going to take it on the road, and they were looking for Nellie Forbush. Well, I was leaving, so they were saying, well, why don't you come in for this? They're seeing dancers today, but you won't have to dance. You will just come and you will sing for the people. And when I got there, somebody got their wires crossed and they put me in the middle of this dance call with all of these amazing dancers. Real dancers. I am a terrible, terrible dancer. Like, And plus, everyone was wearing... Heels like like um, character God, shoes. I should have just character shoes and tights and leotards, and I was wearing cutoff jeans and Converse, yeah. and I just looked like I looked like the ugly duckling in the room full of the swans. And and instead of leaving, I tried to learn the combination. Mm-hmm. I stuck it out, and I tried really hard to learn it because my friend Liz McCartney had taught me some of the dances that are in the show like covertly so that when I went to the audition if they used stuff that was in the show I would look like a genius sure because she really wanted me to get it sure nothing from the show was used in the audition it was just like you know like bar after bar after bar of eight counts of hell and I combinations that were not happening to your body kicking right everyone was fan kicking left I was like literally like luso balling my way through this audition it was abjectly horrifying and humiliating and then I couldn't couldn't do it when they separated us into fours and like made us go in front I just couldn't do it so I left and I heard them calling my name Beth Malone and I nope I was on the other side of the door and I was like St. Louis I left the building I was just like sitting in the hallway with my head in my hands I was going oh my god how did this go so wrong how did this go so terribly wrong and then afterwards like I waited for them and I was like I'm so sorry I just when they were like well do you want to sing anyway and, and, and and then I came in and I sang and I was so shaken up they let me sing like 16 bars mm-hmm. and they were like thank you that was it. That was my big, and you know, I had built this audition up to being like, I might get this job. I might be going on the road at South Pacific. They really seemed interested in me. They really liked me. They were like, Hey, would you like to come back? And, and it was all this thing. And I was like, Wow, this is this turned in this weird corner. And then it was like, Thank you. So horrible and so humiliating. So bad. So if you could go back in time. Mm-hmm. I don't even know that you wouldn't do the same thing. What's so hard at those moments is when you walk in and it's like, if you go, oh, I'm sorry, my agent said I'm only here to do and I'm supposed to just go into Studio A. Yeah. But I think at this time in my career, I would have been like, like, no. Like I'm no, sorry, honey. nobody That's adorable. wants that. <laughs> That's adorable, but I'm not a dancer. No, yeah, like nobody wants that. Right? You don't want that. The people I'm dancing next to don't want. The person that. I kicked in the eyeball doesn't no. want it. I literally kicked right when everyone was kicking left, and I was like, <laughs> sorry, wow, <laughs> that hurt. Wow. Oh wow, that hurt my that hurt my soul. <laughs> well, take a look at you now, baby. Yeah. Right. Oh my God. See, you're doing that dance party. Every night before you go on as the I angel. I am being interviewed at the dance section of a New York But that's Times. come full circle, right. baby. How about that? That at the end of the day, what is that? Yeah, I know. It was fun. It's kind of awesome. It was. So it means you are actually a dancer. I'm a dancer. And you just had to change the mindset. Beth Malone. Yeah. I am 
so in love with you. Every square inch of person that is you, you are the kindest human being. Mm-hmm. And I kind of have to say to all of you out there, if you want to win a Tony Award for Best Musical or Best Play, have Beth Malone in it yeah, and you will. In. Yeah, I got to run up on the stage twice in my life. It's incredible. I know. If you do nothing else. I know. Pretty cruel. But you did. Yeah. I love you. If you want more information about my guests, go to the website, littleknownfactspodcast.com. I also wanted to tell you that there is now a new addition to the website. It is a button that says contributions. This podcast is a true labor of love, and I really, really want to keep doing it for a long time. So if you like listening as much as I love to do it, please feel free to contribute. It would mean the world to me. Also, on Twitter, you can find me at Alana Levine. Instagram is Little Known Facts Podcast, and on Facebook, Little Known Facts Podcast. You can also feel free to rate and review the show on the iTunes show page. This podcast is recorded at Hangar Studios in New York City. This episode was brought to you by Pro Media. Located in Times Square, Pro Media offers both production and post production services out of its beautiful studios in the heart of New York City. Pro Media Sound Vision. Find out more at promedia.nyc.